0: Proverbs chapter one. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter one. We continue our series through uh, the book of Proverbs. Uh, kids can be dismissed. If that applies to you. And uh, Proverbs chapter one. We'll be looking at verse eight down to verse thirty three. Let me pray. And then we'll look at our passage here together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity now to look into it. Help us to gain wisdom that you would help uh, those of us who are simple, those of us who are fools, those of us who are wise, uh, to gain the wisdom that is rooted in the fear of the Lord. Instruct us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One author uh, wrote this adolescence is the quest for a sense of identity. Adolescence is the quest for a sense of identity in Proverbs. Solomon is writing to his son and this son is about to enter adulthood and he has a choice to make. He's going to have to choose the way of his parents, those who fear the Lord or the way of sinners Two paths, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Will he be a God-fearing man? That's the question that's before him. Will he be a God-fearing man? Which path will he choose? Which voices will he listen to? The choice is a matter of life and death. But the son doesn't see the significance of the choice. That's like the underlying narrative, right? The son doesn't... Doesn't get it right. Perhaps he thinks, well, maybe I can choose the fear of the Lord later in life when I grow up. Once I'm ready to settle down, perhaps I can run with fools for a few years and not suffer the consequences. Perhaps I can somehow choose both. Certain contexts, I can play the fool. Other contexts, walk the road of wisdom. But the father sees the significance of the choice, right? You see, right? The the son doesn't think it's all that important. The parent, the father, sees the importance of this choice. It is life and death. And he knows, the father looks out and he knows his son is vulnerable. There, There are going to be new, powerful desires in his adolescent son that are going to awaken in him. New voices will call to him and they will be strong in their allure. Father knows this son does not yet know the power of greed, the desire to get. He doesn't see sinful striving and laziness as two constant ditches ahead of him in his life. This son is only beginning to feel the pull of approval. The desire to fit in, to be noticed, to be liked, the desire to be accepted, this son is on a quest for identity, but only the father sees the significance of the choices in front of him will will he choose wisdom how how will the father respond will he Be able to woo and win his son? Will he be able to warn him and prepare him and equip him? How can he get his son to listen to him? So the setting in Proverbs is is a setting that's not that all different from what parents face today, is it? Not all that different at all, right? The choice still remains and the significance of the choice still remains. And parents so often see it and kids so often don't. Can't. So instruction is needed every generation. Wisdom is needed every generation. But how? How will this happen? How can instruction be given and be received? How can a parent implore the child to see the significance of the choice that lies right before them? To see how vulnerable they are in the time of choosing. Proverbs begins before laying out the wisdom, starting in chapter 10 with these, what we think of as Proverbs, these pithy, vivid little statements. He lays out these 10 talks from a father to a son. And in chapter one, we have really two words of initial counsel from the father to the son. And I think they're important for us to see. So the first is the first talk from the father to the son. This is eight through 19. And then we have lady wisdom. Verse 20. Two words of initial counsel from a father to a son. As he heads out into life, the father sees the significance. The son does not see the significance. What might he say? First counsel. First point. Be ready to say no to sinners. Be ready to say no to sinners. Look down at verse 8. The father begins with a call, as he does with every one of his ten talks. He begins with a call to listen. To listen up. Hold listen, there's an encouragement there. Verse 8, hear, my son, your father's instruction. There's a motivation. Verse 9, for they are graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. But notice it isn't the father alone who instructs. The end of verse 8 says, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Mothers are part of God's wisdom imparting plan for children. This is unique. If you look at other contemporary literature from the ancient Near East, mothers don't feature, right? This is, this is unique emphasis here. Mothers have a primary role, and we know this, in instruction of their children, not a secondary role. And yet the assumption is, in all of Scripture, and especially here in Proverbs, that fathers are to take the lead. Fathers are to take the lead in the home, fathers are to take the lead in the instruction, doesn't mean they're doing it all, doesn't even mean they're doing most of it. And especially, I think, with their sons. Now, the reality is not all fathers fear the Lord. Not all fathers are present in the home. Wisdom doesn't always follow this path to the son. It doesn't always follow the path through the dad. Wisdom may come to the child through the mother's instruction along with the father's or in the absence of the father's. Or it may come through through others yet. But notice, I think what we're going to see again and again, there, there is something important about male instruction for young men. And that's not the main point of our passage, but I think it's also hard to miss. There's something important about male instruction for young men. So where it can't be a father, may it be maybe a grandfather or another father, or a coach, or a teacher, or a pastor, or a neighbor, or an uncle, a grandfather, like I said. So, young men need to learn from older, wiser men. This is crucial as they seek to form their identity as a man. So, let me me speak to the men in the room, men of First Baptist Church. Be on the lookout for young men you can encourage to fear the Lord, And with whom you can impart skill for living. Maybe it's someone who's just younger than you and you've gotten to know them. Maybe it's someone who doesn't have that dad. To my older, perhaps retired brothers, let me just let you know that there are scores of men in this church. Adolescent men, yes. Young men, yes. But also men in their 20s and 30s and 40s who long for your investment who are looking to your example you have learned a skill for living under the fear of the lord and and proverbs the scripture god would implore you to pass it on we we often hear this this motto right you live and you learn you live and you learn you live and you learn. And there is so much to be learned through experience, isn't there? Why well, scripture will even equate older age, gray hair and wisdom, right? Because you learn through experience. But the whole premise of Proverbs 1 through 9 is you can learn and so live. You can, you can break the cycle of only learning the hard way. What a gift, men. You can give to younger men to help them learn first and then live wiser. It doesn't mean you can protect them from all mistakes, but it does mean that as older men, we have a responsibility to teach younger men so that they can learn and then live. That's what the Father is about. That's what the Son is called to listen to. That's what all of us as spiritual fathers are called to offer to one another. Brothers, who can you be that kind of a wise father to? This instruction, verse 9, very strikingly, is is a matter of honor, right? It's an honor. It's an honor. It's It's to be prized. If you... Grew up with this kind of instruction in your home, rooted in the fear of the Lord, giving you a skill for life. Some of you had it. Some of you didn't have it. Some of you had it in fits and starts, inconsistent though it may be. If you grew up with this instruction under the fear of the Lord, look at verse 9. It is your riches that you had that. It is an honor. It is a treasure. Cherish it. Share it. Pass it on. If you are growing up with this instruction right now, young people, what a gift. Cling to it. Don't forsake it. Verse 10, he begins into his instruction. Verse 8 and 9, it's kind of like, all right, listen up. Come on now. Listen up. And, and he does it by way of encouragement, right? He talks about garland and honor, and this should be prize for you. He commends it that way. There's some carrot, and now he's going to go to the stick, right? And he's going to say, all right, let me summarize. Look at verse 10. It's a summary of what we're going to see all the way down to the end of this section down to verse 19. And the summary is really simple. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I think there's a word of wisdom for for parents here. Don't complicate the instruction. There it is. Sinners entice you, say no. Right? Say, say no. This is how one commentator put it. The father's presentation. Oh, no, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. Right. If they entice you, do not consent. Right? Be ready to say no to sinners. So the way of wisdom starts with God, verse 7, and then with a readiness to say no to the invitation to sin, verse 10. If you, if you can't say no, if you, if you can't help but, going, but go along, When you're with your friends, if you can't help but join in, listen up. This father has a word for you, and the word is to get your attention. So the message is simple. My son, sinners entice you, do not content, verse 10. But then verse 11, he's going to say, let me play this out. Let me put words on the lips of the enticer. And as he does it, I think it's almost comical the way he does it. He makes it cartoonish and over the top so that you can see through all the slickness, all the coolness, all the peer pressure and see what they're really after. Right. It's it's, it's cartoonish in that sense. It's it's over the top. There's a vividness to it. If they say, verse 11, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Now, young people, no one's ever going to say that to you. (laughs) No one's ever going to say that to you. Like, let's ambush some innocent people for no reason. Right? That's what he says next, right? Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Right? No one's going to say that to you. It's never that raw. Right? It's always packaged. They start to invite to join. I think this can happen, especially to Christian young people. Long to be invited, to be included, and then you go to school or you get your first job and they include you in their sin. They invite you to go with them. Do not consent. Don't go. Say no. Say no. Look at verse 11 again. Come with us. Let us. Right? Evil men love company. They love to sin and they love other people to join them in their sin. So here's the warning that we see. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, they say, and whole like those who are down to the pit, they say. Verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. The father says, listen up, don't attempt to get the good life by taking it from others. That's the enticement. Get rich, quick, easy, fast, simple. Unjust gain, he calls it down in verse 19. This is the pressure uh, faced by the young, right? How can I get ahead quick? Here it's at the cost of the innocent. Here it's without reason. Verse 12, they just attack them all at once, right? No care that this other one is made in the image of God. Verse 13, you see the values, comfort, convenience, wealth, security. That's what's being offered. The appeal is to be one of the gang, right? To find your identity, your security. You will belong, they say. In a sense, these sinners are offering what family alone provides. Isn't that interesting? They're offering stability and a people. They're offering a foe family. One author noted, another author says, the spoils and goods are mentioned here in verse 14. But there is no mention of pained consciences. There is no mention of lives that are strewn with regret. There's no mention of heartache for family of friends. There's no mention of the fear of being caught by authorities or betrayed by your comrades. So here he he just lays it out. When they invite you to join them in their sin, when sinners entice you, they won't sound like this, but this is what they're saying. So hear them clearly. Now the response so the if comes in verse 11, the then comes in verse 15. This is the father's rebuttal. Do not walk in the way with them. Do not consent. Do not even start to go down the path with them. Say no to sinners, those who love to sin, and those who have loved to have others join them in their sin. Look at their look at their posture might even say their motive, verse 16, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. They're pursuing the wrong things. Just give them a moment. They'll show what they're after. Verse 16 is a good point for us to just pause and and just admit uh, maybe a way that we could inadvertently kind of misapply or not fully apply this passage, right? So we're, we're reading along and we're putting ourselves in what position? Maybe the parent, some of you, I'm trying to encourage you to consider that, but most of us are putting ourselves in the position of, okay, I, I got coworkers, I got family member, maybe I've felt that full pull, or maybe I'm remembering back in high school when I really felt that and we're putting ourselves in the position of the son of the child, I doubt any of you are thinking I'm in the gang. Right? I'm in the peer pressure group. We're just not that's how we think of ourselves, right? We're the exception to that. Verse 16 is startling for this reason. The Apostle Paul wants to press upon Jews and Gentiles in Romans chapter 3, that everyone, Jew or Gentile, we're all sinners through and through. And in order to do that, In order to press on you and me, our sinfulness, he quotes verse 16. We could put it this way. In God's sight, we are all bad company. We're all bad company. Apart from God's grace, we all love to sin and we all love to invite other people to join us in our sin. So the warning isn't just about gangs. It's about going along with good people who are sinning. Because Jesus was right. And there is an anger that is found in the human heart that is murderous at its heart. Look at verse 17 now. He talks about the consequences by way of contrast. He tells a little story. This often happens in the book of Proverbs. And these are some of the my favorite little vignettes. You got to read them once or twice to really kind of get what's going on. So if you have a Bible, look at verse 17 and verse 18 before he summarizes in verse 19. Look at verse 17 for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Are you with him so far? You don't you don't spread the trap while the bird is watching. You might do it behind its back or better you'll do it when the bird's not yet there. Right. Verse 18. But these men the bad company, the us type sinners, they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. These aren't men who set a trap, forget where it is, and accidentally step into it. They set traps for themselves, right? These are people who want to ambush the innocent, and what they're really doing, he says, they're ambushing themselves. You see the word, right? So you have the word ambush up in verse 11, and then you have the word ambush down in verse 18. You think they're all slick. You think they've found a way to get, quick, to get rich quick around the system. They've found the exception to the rule, the bug in the system, a way to get ahead now, no work, passive income. You know all the phrases, right? You think that's what it is. They're ambushing themselves. That's what's being attacked. Not because that's their intention. But because that's how God's ordered the moral world, it should be obvious. We'll see this time and time again in the book of Proverbs. Consequences and punishment are coming. They're unspecified often in Proverbs. There's a delay in Proverbs. But when we read Proverbs in light of the fear of God, we realize that these consequences may come in this life, but they will come. Let me draw just a few lessons here from The father's first talk to his son. Three, just real quick under our first point. Lesson number one. Neglect God's order at your own peril. If you sow with them, you will reap with them. If you say yes to sinners, you will be saying yes to the self ambush. You are only setting a trap for yourself. Lesson two, don't go with those who are neglecting God's order. Don't run with them. They do it at their own peril and at your peril if you join them. Third lesson, parents, maybe especially fathers, open your mouths. Open your mouths. Instruct. Woo Show, teach, explain, warn, talk about the honor of wisdom, talk about the enticement at school and at work and amongst friends. Talk in such a way with this kind of creativity so that... Your kids and your grandkids and your kids' friends and your students and your players, the next generation in this church, sees how foolish this is. How cartoonishly foolish the intentions of those who are enticing them are. Talk about how short-sighted running with them is. Give them the ears to hear the foolishness of what is being said. Of the invitation. Get them ready. A moral backbone to say no when sinners entice. Look at his summary in verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. It clings to them and it destroys them. Help your children, your grandchildren. Help the next generation. The simple, the fool, the mocker to see it point number one be ready to say no to sinners be ready to say no to sinners be reminded that apart from god's grace we're all bad company point number two say yes to wisdom now today say yes to wisdom today commit to team wisdom this morning this is beginning in verse 20 here we have Lady Wisdom described. Wisdom calls aloud in the streets, in the market. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks. This is a personification of wisdom. Wisdom is a beautiful woman in contrast to the immoral woman, which we're going to see later, right? So you can maybe footnote Proverbs chapter 9, where the contrast between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly is laid out all in one chapter. But here we have Lady Wisdom presented with her beauty. Why? God's way is presented, I think, probably still by the Father in verse 20 and 21. In order to attract his son to the path of success. He wants to commend wisdom to his children. Don't listen to Lady Folly. I'll give voice to her later. Solomon says, listen to Lady Wisdom. She speaks beginning in verse 22. But first we have this description which I just read. She's like a street preacher, isn't she? Right? Just where are the people at? That's where I want to go. Find me a crowd. Find me a line. Someone find me someone stuck and having to listen. I want to speak to them. She's available and open to everyone. She stands at the crossroads of life. She wants to be heard. But here's the thing again. Parents, we've got to give voice to her. Wisdom isn't heard I think an implication is when parents never speak it to their children. Wisdom is seeking an audience, wanting her message to get out. Would have been unusual for a woman to be standing in such a place of prominence in that day. But her message is for everyone, not just for the elite, not just for the king, for everyone. And she begins in verse 22. How long? It's an indictment and an encouragement. You've been committed to simplicity, O simple one. How much longer are you going to be committed to that path? Notice that she addresses the simple, and then she likens them in the second half of verse 22 to the scoffers and the fools. So the scoffers and the fools are marked by two things, and the simple are as well. So if you stay in the simple path, the uncommitted path, the naive path, no, I am likening you to scoffers and to fools. Wisdom is talking to those who haven't yet listened. She's crying to all those who are uncommitted. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? They're, they're heading to adulthood. And have not picked their team. Maybe they've already entered into adulthood. And yet they are simple. So she calls them to repent now before it's too late. Make the decision to be wise. Or you will find yourself a fool. There's no category here in Proverbs of ignorance is bliss. Or this kind of pure innocence. Naivete. No. Those uncommitted to wisdom, the simple, they're in a really dangerous place. And that's why parents and grandparents and older brothers and sisters in Christ need to speak up and teach wisdom to the younger generation. Look again at verse 22. Look especially at the verbs. Love, delight, hate, This is language of affection, language of relationship. He's calling to, but he's kind of calling out those who are uncommitted on life's path. Those who have given their attention elsewhere. They're they're loving and they're delighting in the wrong things, the wrong places. This is a reminder that wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's not just instruction. So you have a quote in your bulletin. It's meant to be funny. It's okay to laugh at it. Maybe some of you read it. It goes something like this. I don't have it typed up in front of me, nor do I have a bulletin, but it's something like this, right? So knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. right? So you you need to give the knowledge, you need to give the instruction, but you're calling them to a commitment, to a path, to a posture. It's not just mind or will, it's heart, right? The wise man loves God's word and loves God's way and loves God's will. But the simple, the mocker, isn't just kind of uncommitted to wisdom, but smitten with their own folly, So lady wisdom here is wooing them, seeking to get their attention, to bring it elsewhere. Then in verse 23, we have the word if. So here's another condition. This is going to be put positively. And then verse 24, we have because, verse 25, because it's an invitation and then a warning. If you listen, verse 23, if you turn now, I will give you wisdom. I will give you understanding. If you commit yourself, O oh, uncommitted one, to the path of wisdom, I will guide you and I will protect you. Notice what she says in verse 23. My words are only for those who share my spirit. It's a matter of the heart. He's going to come back to this in chapter two really strongly. We'll see this next week. But then comes the warning in verse 24. Because you refused to listen, though I was calling to you, though I reached out my hand to you, because you have given your affection to folly and your heart is sold out to those fools online, at work, at school, I will mock you when you're stormed by distress and you turn to me then. This is harsh. This is strong language. What a strong warning in verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then you will call to me. Wisdom. Wisdom. Lady Wisdom says I will not answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, here's the heart of the matter, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof, he repeats, verse 25, Lady Wisdom does. Verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. You will seek her and she will not answer. Those who are simple will become those who are hardened, those who are scoffers, those who are fools. They will reap what they sow because they refuse to listen to wisdom. My professor in seminary noted these two things. I'll throw them in here. There's always a gap between sin and punishment, between sowing and reaping. And in Proverbs, the judgment is certain, but it's not specified. It's not specific. But of course, verse 29, as I said, speaks to the heart of the matter, and it sends us back to the motto of the book in 1.7. Wisdom always begins with God, and so the rejection of wisdom is a spiritual matter. It's the rejection of God. Look down at verse 32. How are the simple Killed, The uncommitted, the naive. How are they destroyed? Not by lady wisdom, but by turning from lady wisdom. And then he puts a finer point on it. How are fools destroyed? Not by lady wisdom, but by, do you see it there at the end of verse 32, complacency. What a warning, isn't it? So the fool is just complacent. There's a, okay, I'm just going to opt out. And yet in opting out, there's a rejection of, there's a turning from. There's a giving attention to else. So let me ask you, where are you complacent towards God? Where are you playing the fool, complacent towards his wisdom? And then notice the contrast, verse 33. Those who are wise are secure. Secure. Wisdom requires listening now, today, while Lady Wisdom still calls, while there's still a chance to hear. Seeking wisdom, embracing wisdom, saying yes to wisdom now, and then it brings security later. So the wise listen, and then the listener is not living in dread of disaster. So what is the charge of Solomon? What is the charge of this father? In chapter 1, it's listen. Listen to the lady. She's not hiding. She can be found. So open your Bibles and listen. Look to godly examples and imitate. See the warnings of fools and steer clear. Do you see the urgency? There's just an urgency that permeates Lady Wisdom's call here that we might listen to, that we might say yes to wisdom today. Don't be, don't be presumptuous that she will be able to be found later when the consequences really bite. I realize as, as we talk about wisdom, as we begin this series, that some of you are in a season of reaping and it's not good. It's actually been hard. Friend, wisdom still calls to you even as you're hearing me now. Fear God, listen to his word, repent of your folly. See it, name it, turn from it, and trust in God's provision. His provision first of forgiveness for you in Christ. What a a joy that if we confess our folly, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our folly, of our foolishness. And hear and heed God's wisdom. As we begin a new year, let's give our attention to this voice. To wisdom's voice. To God's word. Let's be wooed by lady wisdom. Let's not love and delight and give our attention to lesser voices. Let me close us in prayer. And then we'll sing before we gather around the table together. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father God, I pray for those who are outside of Christ, who are fools, scoffing at you and your word. We pray that they would repent and trust in your provision in Christ and heed your word and hear the voice of lady wisdom for the first time. And Father, we pray for those here this morning. Who have been sowing in foolishness and are reaping a bad harvest. Pray for those here this morning who have neglected the voice of wisdom. We pray that you would lead them to repentance, that they would return to your will and way, that they would find forgiveness in Christ and wisdom in your word. Help us to be those that seek wisdom and treasure wisdom, to see that it is a prize be sought father we thank you that you have spoken to us so practically we thank you that you've spoken to us where we're at and so you pray we pray that you would help us to learn from this book to fear you and heed your word to learn how it goes in your good and ordered moral world and order our lives rightly Help us to fear you and live with the skill that comes from wisdom alone. We love you and we pray all this in Christ's name.